Listener Production. Things stick in your mind. So here's one that I still have in my mind, which is just ridiculous to me, which is A-C-E-G-I-K-M-O-Q-S-U-W-Y, which is every second letter of the alphabet. Oh, nice. Right. That's nice. Yeah. But if you ask me to do the other ones, can't do those. Yeah, yeah. So if I start at B numbers. and try to do every second, I cannot do that, but I can do as, as amongst I think I learned uh, the alphabet backwards, Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T. Uh, I can't remember it now, actually. <laughs> S R Q N M no S oh, and then after Q you go P O N M L I can't actually remember it but I learned it when I watched like the Simpsons or so it was like there was some sobriety test which was do the alphabet backwards well that is the sobriety test that they use in diff- in various different places and the, people can't do that in the in the light of day every time that it comes on when that comes up in something I'm like I would not be able to do that on this the spot is before if, they had the technology for um, something you blow into that tells you. But then there is an impairment test, right? So, like, uh, uh, anyway, we can leave this yeah. in and then we'll get to the actual podcast. It'll be <laughs> fine. People, like, it's like, yeah, we, we haven't been introduced or anything yet. But, like, yeah. they've downloaded the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Your name's on it. There's a description of what happened. James Fosdyke no, no. has done an amazing piece of no. original artwork. People are confused and people it. are angry, Will. People yeah. are screaming at what their headphones. This? We don't understand what this is until <laughs> Will introduces the podcast. <laughs> Uh, all right. What was the what were we talking about? Like before I started, what were literally? Oh, oh so sobriety tests, yeah, uh, yeah, impairment tests. The problem with so medicinal cannabis legal in Australia at the moment, uh, which is uh, fantastic, but there is still um, like the detection test. Basically, you could not be impaired but still have it in your system and test like positive. So you could be like banned from the road or fined so or whatever. So you, could, you smoked weed yesterday. Yeah. You're driving today, your you're system. fine, but they clock yep. it in your system. And what, you get in trouble? Yeah. What so, do they say? They, well, you can get a fine. You can even go to court. Like really, it's like, it's like drunk driving essentially, even though it's not. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, well, no, it's not because, at all because you're not going to pull someone over having had a beer yesterday. No. And yes. And you are allowed to drive a little bit of alcohol in your system anyway. It's not yeah. 0.00. Yeah, it's, you yeah, know, 0.05 yeah. in most places in Australia. Uh, so there is that margin. That, like scientific tests have shown that you're impaired for about two hours, like, you know, from, from smoking weed. It does depend on who it is and what situation. But my doctor always tells me the next day. He says like, he just basically says, if you've got something to do the next day, heavy machinery or driving or whatever, you can have it, the medicine at night. But don't have any in the in, in the, the morning, morning, right? Like you know, just yeah, do I your see. stuff. And so then on you the can day, you can't do it on the day. Yeah, don't do it on the day. Was his general sort of? You're advice. you're you're a big heavy machinery guy. Non-stop heavy yeah. machinery. That's been that's been <laughs> the one thing that I was like. Well, I love weed, but I also love heavy machinery. Like can't keep me away from a John Deere, right? Yeah, right? Recreational steamroller. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, that's right. Get me on the steamroller. <laughs> What did Will Anderson put all his money into? <laughs> Heavy machinery. Owns you several... should see that at the back of his place, it's right. so flat. Holy mackerel. Right. It is absolutely flat, yet he has three cranes. <laughs> Just loves it. The police like pulling you over over the fence going, we know you're stoned, Will. We'll get you for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's start the actual show. All that can stay in, though. That's fun. That You know what that felt like? That felt like, like a little fun... Uh, you know, uh, animated short that runs before I, the- <laughs> When I listen to podcasts sometimes and they're just, to- I, I, I never know if I like it or if I find it disconcerting when they're just talking. The, yeah. you, you put your, you know, the episode starts and it's just mid-flow. I've, you know, actually, do you, 
Do you like Norm Macdonald, the comedian? Yes, I do, of course. His special, the last, oh no, he did a Zoom special when he was ill, but his last one he filmed in a theatre before he died, which was called Hitler's Dog Gossip and Other Trickery. It starts mid-joke. He starts on a laugh. He's like, he's, it's a shot of him walking down a, a like a, a vineyard and he's finishing a joke and he's getting huge laughs. And if you know Norm, I've seen the joke on YouTube. It's not like one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard, but it, it just starts on a laugh and he's just in, he's in the show. I thought it was a pretty baller move. I mean, he was somebody who was always looking to subvert the form of comedy. Like, that, even that last special, that, like, Zoom yeah, like, yeah. thing, yeah. whatever that is, when he knew he was dying and, like, you know, he's putting all these jokes in, like, an empty room onto it. Like, but even that is compelling. And that, that Norm McDonald show, that, like, talk show. Yeah, Norm, Norm Live or whatever, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it's one of those shows that even if you watch a lot of comedy, like you'll be halfway through an episode and you're going, "What is this?" Yeah, yeah. Because well, when he got the Netflix show, they had to take down all the live podcasts that were on YouTube. But you can find them on a mix. It's a mixed cloud playlist with all of them. They're so right. they're so funny. And some of them, he's like he's talking to Super Dave and Fred Willard. There's all like Gilbert Gottfried. You know, it's crazy how the turnover and how many of these guys are now dead. But yeah, he was um, that Zoom one he did when he was ill. That was that was in the middle of lockdown. He died, and my, one of my best friends they had their baby on the same day. And I remember I was talking to him, and I said, "Well, you know," he said to me, "Maybe the soul of, you know, one of the great comedians lives on in my boy." But when I watched the Zoom one, I was like, "This isn't just watching a comedy." Sp-. I felt like I was le- I was learning how to do comedy, you know, because you could see where the laughs go, you could hear the Kate, you know, it was like it was like reading his notebook maybe instead of actually watching it. You know, there was a, a level of craft to it that I thought I was really taken by i was really impressed and like i I really enjoyed it i think I, i'm a diehard anyway so more so than probably others. i like i agree with what you say which is it was like seeing the version that you might do in the mirror of your show before you actually yeah. open your show yeah. in front of people like yeah. it, that's what it felt like yeah. like all the beats were there the timing was there there's no audience there and it hasn't really been tested that much in front of audiences like i think Bits and pieces he'd yeah. been doing live, but then other pieces were partic- like had never been tested in front of an audience at all. And like you know, he had to get it out there before he was. He, he had, knew, well, he had to get it all yeah, out. He knew he, he was like, yeah. "Well, this is it. I don't get to perfect this." And so often with comedy, like we're in the middle of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival as we record this, but like that festival life of like running in a new show. When we were both talking about that idea of that moment where you're like, "Oh yeah, okay, this is." Yeah. Like, this is good now. And it wasn't like it was bad when it started. It, there's just a difference between, like, how it, there's al- it always gets better. Like yeah, that's, yeah. It would be bad if it didn't, right? Yeah. Like, so wherever you start, you hopefully it's still going to get better. But there's something in seeing the drafts that is also very compelling. I, I enjoy watching, when I'm watching Friends or other comics, I often enjoy watching the you know, not the first run, and not that I have anything against that, but like the when they're, they've just about broken it, when they're sort of trying to rein it in, that is that's where the magic is because they're alive in the room still. You know, you get later on in a festival or a show's really drilled in. Often, it you know, there's always things in the room people are responding to, but there's a a certain electrical current that is that's taken out. And what you're talking about, where it's like when you're running in and it's not good yet, I always think about it in terms of the gap you're trying to close is how good it can be or how good you can be. It's not that it's not good for an audience. It's that 
to the standard that you would like this to be or to the potential of what a premise is or something. It's like, the, that's the gap you're closing. It's like, how can I actually squeeze everything out of this? It's true. It's about that idea of that this bit is incomplete or that I know there's more or in this. this you or know, I haven't quite unlocked. I know this thing is funny. And the, maybe the audience even think it's funny. Maybe they're like, that is the bit. And you're like, no, 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 no. Like there's yeah, still something yeah. in this that I haven't quite worked out exactly. yet. Exactly. And you know, it's like watching skating or whatever when you see, or gymnastics, you see like a land, you, like it's the difference between a solid landing or like they pulled off the trick, but the land, you know, their legs bent on the landing or it's a bit of a sloppy landing and you're like, oh, you know, it doesn't it's take so away close. from how impressive what you just right. did was, the but I'll bet there's a version awesome. of that that you can do. You can with, land. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Land and ski away. Yeah. Like there's a version of that. So it's funny. I was, I've been having this conversation a lot, this festival with other comedians, which is about the idea of how you get rid of the bits that aren't meant to be there. Right. And because a lot of it is that as well. Like you're just holding on too long. Yeah, to something well, that you know yeah. that should still not you're be You're holding on to like a laugh that happened three weeks ago. And yeah. you're like, I'll get that laugh back. Yeah. Like, and the joke and is the laugh was a one-off, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was a one-off and you're still like, oh, no, I just mustn't be doing it the way Man. that I did it that first time. And the number it, of those jokes that are floating uh, around, hey. Mate, like, and like, you know, if you catch me in the, like the first <laughs> night of the festival, I've still got eight of those jokes in my Yeah. Time. Of course. You know, and then one by one, like night by night, you line them up on a plank and one right. goes overboard, <laughs> but you still hang on to the rest but of it's them. It's the whole, it's the kill your babies thing, right? Yeah. I always remember, and all this stuff happens as you go for longer because you, you know, like when you're starting, you're not trying to be the best, you are, but that's not the sole motive. You're not trying to be the best comedian you can be. You're trying to make an audience laugh. You know, right. You're not. You're trying you, to be you, a comedian. You don't have control to the extent that you're like, I know there's more here. But the longer you go, you know, the more it becomes like that to the point where you can fill an hour, you can talk for an hour and be engaging for an hour. And there's jokes that just, they're not at home in there. That could be funny jokes in a different show or at a different time. And, you know, it is, you get them on the plane, you got to kill your babies because it makes way for what's meant to be in there. You know, every day at the moment, I'm trying, I started the, this on 55 minutes, which I think yep. is the right length. And then it keeps pushing up to an hour. And every day I'm trying to kill something out to like leave that five minutes in so that you can find the next thing that comes up. Yeah, I, I find that a lot when the show's it's still in that great growth mode, which is this idea of that you take five minutes out and three minutes just naturally they fills appear. back in. Yeah. Like it, because the the stuff that's there and I I'm not sure that I am there entirely with this show yet. Like I still feel like I'm speeding through it. Like like I'd love to create some more space so I could slow down a little. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, you know, like, you, talk, you talk quite fast on stage as well. Yeah. You're like, I, I talk fast regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I often literally like I've got complaints more than once from people who said like you were clearly high on cocaine just because of how quickly, you, because, because of, of how quickly yeah, I yeah. talk and the way that I talk and the way that I'm animated on stage. Yeah. And I was like, you would like be amazed by the amount of pot that I have smoked backstage. <laughs> it is the opposite. This car is towing a caravan up a hill and this is like how yeah. fast I talk. If yeah. I added cocaine to this mix, my head would explode. Yeah, that is not yeah. a good choice for me <laughs> in that situation. That's I don't need that. I need to put a break on that. So anyway, we should start the podcast. This, yes, this yeah, is what yeah. we actually should do. Leave, all, do, leave we, all this in. Though. We this can do a thing where you tease it. You keep saying we'll yeah, start the we'll podcast. Start, and we we'll never podcast. get there. The podcast that <laughs> never <classic>. starts. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for philosophy. I think it is. Okay, before we start, say one more on this. Because <laughs> it is that idea of I'm trying to prove that I belong here. There, there's a point where that is the case, right? 
And then there's a point where you're like, okay, I'm comfortable that I am a comedian. Now my journey's got to be about how good can I be as a comedian. But that then just comes with, you've got to go with that, like, okay, I've locked in that I am one. I can't, I can't be going out in front of an audience anymore trying to prove to them that no, I no. am a comedian. So you, it, if you've got X audience showing yeah. up every night or every year, you know, that's a, it's yeah. non-negotiable. It's expected. You have to show up as a comedian. You can't be proving it. Well, yeah, but I think that I've come to that conclusion way late. Like in, if you're, if the measurement is what you've just said it is, because I've had huge crowds at my shows, like for a very long period of time. And I feel like only in the last few years, I've entirely like surrendered myself to the thought of going, you know, the pure judgment of like, this will be on me. Like, yeah, that I'm not still auditioning for yeah. the right to yeah, be there. Yeah. Like, I was thinking till maybe. Like maybe even just like around the pandemic. So the last two, three, four, five years, like, yeah, that's the period of time where I finally felt like I stopped auditioning for the right to Is that, and you think that's be it's because of the, is that before it happened or through it and now on the other side? Do you think, because there was a kind of freaky time where it's like, you know, if, if it's never taken away from you being able to do stand up, then there's no opportunity to pause and be like, what is the engine behind this beyond just, I, it's really fun. And that's what I found is it's like these three years where it's it's not there and you think, well, you know, it's the first time since you start basically, if you get addicted, as most people do, that you're looking at it and you're like, well, what, why is the drive? Why am I, you know, doing this? And there's value in that reflection as well, though, which might be what you're describing where you come out the other side and you're like, you know what? I don't need to worry about that part. Like, I, that's what I am. This is what I am. And so now I can go out and enjoy it for what it is and just try to be the best version of myself in that setting. Yeah. Is that, do you feel, was it... When did that reflection happen? I think it happen? was happening previous to the Before, pandemic. Yeah. But I think that it was pre-pandemic. A lot of it was like manifesting itself in maybe like I was on stage doing well, but I wasn't feeling whatever it was that I used to feel or whatever mm. it was that, you know, like, I mean, whatever it was, I felt a disconnect between yeah. the two. Yeah. And then it, it going away, like, was exactly what I needed. Like, only in the sense of, for, for that moment in my life and what I was thinking about. But the idea, like, because I was toying in my mind about the idea of like, oh, is this what I want anymore? Is this what I need? Like, what am I getting from this? Like, I was asking those questions. And then the pandemic was like, well, what if it, you couldn't do it at all? And I was like, nah, no, no, I'm against that. And Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly all the other answers. Yeah. But yeah. I can tell That's, you I'm definitely yeah. against that. Did yeah. not like it one bit. When it's, it was nice to have, you know, it, the power of that pause was outside of our control. And so, you know, it's an, it's nice to have that reflection imposed upon you instead of, you know, which is arguably probably healthier to be able to just withdraw and do it of your own volition. But, you know, just to have it imposed upon basically the entire industry and all of, all of the, you know, performance inside of it that everyone has to go, well, what, what are we actually getting up to here? Because, you know, ultimately it's just, what is it? We just think we're funny. So, yeah. So, what is it? So, like, this is good because this is like we've, what we've managed to do is have a little chit chat and then we've moved to quite a philosophical conversation about the nature of our jobs, which will be a nice place for me to actually start the podcast yeah. in a minute after we answer this question. So, tell me this. What is it? Like, for you, what is it? Like, because, you know, clearly from the way you frame that, you must have had some of those thoughts yourself about, yeah. you know, why comedy, why what it is for you, where it fits into your uh, life. I, it's a, it's sort of, it's, 
it's potentially a, a funny, not ha-ha funny, but a funny answer. But I know that the genesis of it to an extent is um, I thought it wouldn't be a lot of work. I thought I wouldn't really have to work because I was already funny, you know. And I, I, I held off getting it. I never took on a real job. I worked in, you know, not to discredit any of these industries, but I worked in promotions. I was like trialing things in supermarkets for people, hospitality, sort of like media scraps, all sorts of things where I thought I could maintain control over my working hours or like I could carve out huge chunks of the day to spend time with my friends who were in university or whatever. And then when they all started getting their careers and I was sort of looking at my lot, I realized that the value of these daytime hours I was harvesting was, it was reducing because the people who I wanted to spend that time with weren't, uh, they weren't available anymore. I thought, okay, well, you know, they're going to, everyone's going to get on a, a track here and I'm going to be left. And so I sort of slowed it down to look at what, what was the, in essence, the equilibrium between what I liked doing the best and what I was the best at doing. And, and the answer was being funny. I love, I've always loved being funny and I'm unfortunate in that I've always found it, it comes easily enough. And so at its core, I thought, well, you know, and I think you have to be naive to start because everyone, you know, everyone has to be some, some level of deluded to think that it could work for them because it's a ridiculous thing to try and do. And so, I, yeah, I thought, well, you know, I'll just have a crack at that. And it, it looked like if you were just funny then you didn't have to really work on it because you're funny, <laughs> you know, you're funny and that's wrong. Like, you know, it's all work. <laughs> yeah. The whole time's work. All, all your downtime's work. You Everything know, like, is work. It's, it's running your own business. It's just, there's no, you know, you look at friends who are on salary jobs or whatever, and there's a real clear delineation between when they're at work and when they're home. And I, I work on that, but that's not, um, well, so there, there is that, like, I mean, it's not a myth. It just doesn't tell the whole story, which is find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. There is some truth to that, right? Yeah. But the the other thing they don't tell you, the the downside, the dark side of that is that you'll never have a day off for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like because- is it Every when, day is a hybrid. Every day, exactly. When do I start? When do I stop? And do I ever stop if the job that I've chosen is to mine my world yeah. for like- Comedic but content, like even the, but this, everything. This is elite. What we're doing, this is a leisure activity. Yeah. Arguably, we could Talking. do this. We could, yeah, we you could and go. I. Yeah, we could have a, a <laughs> you beer. and I who've known each other for like you know a good period of yeah. time now. We could have just caught up and had a beer, no, and not felt the need yeah. to record and monetize this conversation. Exactly. <laughs> but so I mean, but even you know everything, the, every passion project eventually yeah. it gets squeezed to the point that mm. there, there's there's a sacrifice that's being, or not a sacrifice, but there's a work yep. component to it. Yeah. So it, 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 there, As it, this there is. is not obviously not to complain. Like I wouldn't no. change a thing. I feel like the luckiest person alive. I love it all. Are oh, you kidding me? Yeah. No, I mean, that's part of like what the realization was where you're like, no, this is, this, this is, is a pretty good this job. This is literally, as, like, you know, if this is what you like, this is literally as good as it gets. Yeah. It's real hard. But it's only hard because we all want to desperately keep doing it. And yeah, <laughs> because and only... we know that it's actually if you can keep doing it, if you can work out how to be good at enough at it to be able to continue to do it, 
what a great way to spend your life. Like it's, being yeah. funny around fun, other funny people. Like it's, it's great fun. Like, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not truly so, hard. It's like yeah, well, yeah. people's lives. It's hard for us. Hard. <laughs> people it's who don't a, like to work more than an yeah, hour a day. Yeah. It is hard. It's on a scale. Yeah. It's pretty fucking easy. <laughs> Uh man. Uh, hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. <laughs> I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. So uh, this is how the show actually starts, even mm-hmm. though it's officially started, I'm sure, for okay. about 15 to 20 minutes by this point. <laughs> but anyway, this is how it normally starts. I ask my guests uh, to describe who they are. So who are you? I am Guy Montgomery and... I'm six foot two and a half. I'm, so are you taller or shorter than, than me? Have you ever noticed? No, like, I would imagine you would, we'd look approximately eye to eye. Yeah. I, so I, when I describe myself, I describe myself as six foot two and a half. There you so go. Yeah, I, yeah. So. Well, I have a friend, my best friend growing up was six three. And he'd always say to uh, Antagonist, he'd say, life's only worth living in six three. Right. And, uh, That's know, where the fun starts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's such a fun taunt because it's, <laughs> it's, it's obvious nonsense, but it's also inaccessible to me. <laughs> well, Prince style, you could wear some boots or whatever. No, nah, right? but everyone knows. You know that's a lie. I mean, there is also the fact that even he, like, I mean, this is the problem. If he were only 6'3", he's given himself no wiggle room because human beings naturally shrink over yeah. the course of their life. Oh, so there's a chance that that fella no, who's set the bar at 6'3 has... You don't know. His name's no. Jono. This guy, he's every every argument, it's, yeah. it's just, it's the joy of stringing it out for as long as he can, <laughs> you know. Like, it's, he'll have a graph made up to scale, you know, the, the relative heights and merits of living at that height across a human life. In school, he used to say he was perfect at everything. And yeah. if you challenged him, you'd say, well, you're not good at this. You go, no, but I'm I'm operating at the perfect level of ability at that because if I were any better, it wouldn't be fun. Oh, yeah. You know, just like, That's just good. really That's stupid. Good. It's a good way to reframe every yeah. argument though, isn't it? And once though, I mean, you know, this is sort of ancillary, but we were riding, this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. We were riding home, we rode our bikes to school together. We were riding home through Hagley Park in Christchurch. And there's a, I think it's called, Lake Victoria, it's barely a lake. It's more of a, a, a pond, you know, probably 40 meters across. We ride past it every morning. And he says, oh, we're on the way back from school now. He says, I bet you I can bike across that pond. And I say, obviously you can't. I'll bet you $20 you can't. And he goes, taken. And then just turns off the path. We're biking past it. He just turns off the path, rides the bike in. You know, the first meter, it's pretty smooth sailing. The bike gets about a meter and a half and the wheels just completely stop. <laughs> and in slow motion, he just starts tilting to the side and then everything goes in the water. And he's like, he was one of the brightest guys I know. It's just such a remarkable disregard for common sense. Or, right. You know. I the rules of how yeah, things are. Yeah, it was like such a generous offer because mm. it was the funniest possible thing you could do is to right. set yourself an impossible task with supreme confidence and knowingly go and get it wrong. It is interesting, isn't it? It's that, it's funny. Like, I mean, we, you know, we're speaking about comedy, obviously. And uh, I do think that there is like, there's, there's something that I, yeah, I hear quoted by a whole bunch of different people, but about the idea that, you know, part of like what draws people towards stand up comedy in particular is this idea that you get to control the narrative. Like, it's not that you're unafraid 
to have people laugh at you, like that's fine, but you get to control the circumstances in yeah. which they laugh at you. Yeah, but this yeah. is like a real life version of that. Absolutely, like, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I th- and I think all co- all comedians always say that they're funny, you know, their funniest friends are non-comics or whatever. But I, I remember just thinking this he was so he's still a very close friend. He lives in London now, so we don't get to hang out like we did, but he's so funny. You know, like I I just remember I don't know. I think so many of the funniest people I know, they, they're not drawn to comedy. You know, it is, they've got, he's a lawyer or something. He's, you know, yeah. got other vocations. He can be the funniest lawyer Exactly. The and I actually, I actually, I find that irritating as well. Because I'm like, I can't practice law. You know, when people are, fu- when people are funny incidentally, right. I'm like, fuck off. You know, just, to, just be good at your trade. Oh, I mean, I think that you could like, in the same way as they're being funny incidentally, like I think that you could give unsolicited legal advice. <laughs> You couldn't be a lawyer. You can't like walk yeah, in yeah. straight into like they don't do open mic down at the courtroom and no, just give no. you like yeah, you know yeah. what? Thirty seconds to do an opening statement. We're doing eight tonight. We gong you off if you get a bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> like, but okay, so let's let's find out a little bit about Guy Montgomery. So uh, where did you grow up? Where you born? Like, tell me a little bit about the Guy Montgomery story. Born born in Wellington, uh, Wellington Women's Hospital. But I, you know, I don't really remember it. Uh, and then before I was generating memories, we moved from Wellington to Sydney and then back to Wellington and then to Christchurch. All before memories? All before memories. Okay. I mean, I can look at photos or, you know, there are yeah, images. Yeah, but you have no memories of this yeah. entire yeah. roundabout that happened. That's right. <laughs> before, yeah. Okay. And so then, yeah. Come to, I'm in Christchurch. I've got a mum and a dad. I've got two sisters. I'm in the middle. And what was all this moving about about? Uh, dad's job. Okay. He was, I don't know. I never quite understood it. He was, he was, he was doing things with numbers for a finance company, you know, yeah, something yeah. sinister like that. <laughs> moving, moving decimal points around the place. You know. Have you seen the television show Ozark? It's based on him. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jason Bateman <laughs> stole my dad's identity. I, I call him Bateman. Why does no one call him Bateman? It's always the Bateman. Bateman. Yeah, yeah. The Bateman. Do. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, yeah. So <laughs> all of the, you know, all of this is, um, this is, the groundwork for my life. And then I spend my entire schooling years in Christchurch. So from sort of four to 18. And for people who don't know, I mean, look, you know, obviously we've got a bunch of international listeners and, uh, but like for Australians who don't know what, like growing up in Christchurch is like, what is, what is well, that like? It's, it, you know, if it's the only place you, that you remember growing up, it's sort of, it's exactly what you'd imagine growing up to be like. Yeah. But when you leave, you, you learn things about it. Christchurch is sort of, um, Although its identity has has shifted a huge amount since I left, they've had a huge number. They've had like a, a, some terrible tragedies before them, and um, they've sort of had to bounce back as both a, a in terms of infrastructure as a city, but also as a community. So it's I can't speak to exactly what it's like now, but um, growing up, it was quite. It's sort of proudly British, you know. It's probably of all the New Zealand towns or cities, they they cling on to their colonial identity with the most vim and vigour. Um, it's sort of, so in that sense, it's, you know, there's a, it's, there's a lot of like, one of the leading questions people always ask in Christchurch, if they find out you're from Christchurch is what school did you go to? And uh, no one ever grows out of it. So you go to, 
when you're growing up in Christchurch, everyone wants to know what school you went to. And when you leave, you know, even years and years later, you'll be 50 years old talking to someone. They go, are you from Christchurch? Are you? What school did you go to? It's just like, you know, it's that sort of place. And, and are they sort of immediately has, making a judgment based on yeah, what school you yeah, went to? Yeah, and yeah. That, so you are, you are tethered forever to, right. you know. That, that identity you had in that one period of time exactly, when you went to high school exactly. in that place. <laughs> and so, and yeah, it's sort of, it's, 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 it's big enough to be a city, but small enough that, you know, every cluster inside of the community, so everyone's sort of got their nose in, in each other's business a little bit, you know, it's, um. It's a decent sized place, but it's got British town energy. So when do you leave there then? Like, uh, so you talked about like your friends at university and you wanting to spend time with them. Did that mean that you weren't? No, like, so I, I, d I went to university. Okay, you did. I went, so I left Christchurch after high school. I moved to Wellington. I went to Victoria University of Wellington. I did a BA in theatre, film and media. I was an absent student. So I was, I never, I never thought to or really learned to apply myself through school or university. I could always get by. You know, I just, I could, I could shit it out on the night before and pass. And that was good enough because I had no actual intention of applying any of the learnings. It was more just a <laughs> framework in which to socialize. Oh, yeah. Like at university, I, so I, I wasn't allowed. At I mean, by the way, not the worst way to look at it. No, because no. Because in, in many ways, that's exactly what my university qualification is. Like, yeah. I mean, it does. It has never been required once in my 30-year stand-up comedy career, no, has exactly. anybody said, I mean, you please? Dad was like, you know, it's just an expensive way of yeah. telling someone you can apply yourself. Right. And, you know, and it was. But So at school, I never, we weren't allowed a gaming console at home. We weren't, we weren't really, we got a TV show a week, you know. So we, no TV really. One a week. Yeah. Um, wow. And so when I left and I went to university, yeah. I... Watched a lot of TV. Well, I yeah, found out about, I, I, yeah, I got on. into gaming <laughs> and I found weed at the same time. Okay. And so, you know, the, the chances of me being at a lecture. Right. Were, You're like, you don't understand. Yeah. Everybody else has seen all this shit. Exactly. <laughs> I've got to catch up so I can have conversations. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the number of times I, I'd nod through a conversation yeah. about what went on on television yeah. last night, where, yeah. you know, you yeah. know, it's a very visceral feeling, I think, where you're at school. Gotta watch nine friends. years of Shortland Street exactly. tonight. Got, yeah, I was crazy while Blair did on the show last night. You know, worried that if there's a follow-up question, you'll be rumbled. Uh, and so university was just a, it was a good time. I still yeah. was without ambition or direction, but I, you know, so I, do I was you, young. But, I, didn't I mean, pause but you're reflect. doing film, theatre, television. So like there, there's at least some there's sort of, yeah. yeah. So where, what's that? Because- like for someone who was only able to watch like one TV show yeah. a week, <laughs> the idea that you had like this passion for film. And did you see a lot of theater? Uh, well, so, I mean, my, my, um, my laziness towards, you know, my tertiary education extended even to like, there were film assignments where the, the assignment was to watch a film and write yeah. an essay, and I wouldn't even watch the, you know, I just like, <laughs> you wouldn't even do the bit where it's just on Wikipedia like a movie. and you know and like you know take the broad themes and I just distill it into some. What did you do when you were meant to be watching this movie? I watched another movie, yeah. but a leisure movie, <laughs> not a work movie. That's right, you know. I uh, and so no, like I, I, what drew me, I think, was again. It's a it's it's an alluring world, isn't it? And also Christchurch is somewhat traditional and so it was never advertised to me that these um pathways were available to you know, that you could actually become a comedian or, you know. That well I didn't really know about that. Um, Cause were there like famous comedians that you like I mean what 
what was someone your age like looking at comedically? Because I guess the world has opened up a bit with the internet. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, there is yeah. access to American comedy or British yeah, yeah. comedy or like, it, so it's not just the stars, that, but is it there? New Zealand people who were influential at the time? Is it like overseas accent? It's a little bit. So I got my uh, dad. I mean, mum and dad are are funny. They're both funny in unique ways, but they were both, they were both funny. They both are funny. Um, Dad in a sort of dry, entertaining himself. You know, I didn't know that dad was joking for the first like 15 years of my life Uh until I I sort of thought he was just a bit maybe scary. And then I was like, oh no, you've been taking this the whole time. Mum sort of bigger, like, you know, bigger bigger energy uh but dad got us and he, he was sort of you know he was big on all the old brits so like python and spike milligan and um you know foldy towers peter cook and dudley moore and so there's a lot you know that was all coming through and, I, and we that was a shared sensibility i found all of that funny and then there was a show called and how old are you when you're being introduced to these things probably by your dad, do you think Around puberty, probably like yeah. early teens. And so is it, is it a bonding thing as well? Like is there, there is an a, element of yeah, like... there is an element of bonding. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, like we'd go, we'd drive, we'd do family road trips in the school holidays and stuff and we'd have a Monty Python CD that we'd listen, you know, oh, we'd yeah. all be quoting along and stuff. <laughs> uh, and so there's a bit of that. I remember we went to, we saw Austin Powers at the cinema together. I remember the experience of us laughing at the same beats and that and sort of being like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like we're really on the wave here. There are a few New Zealand comedy shows, but there was a show called Eating Media Lunch, which was basically a New Zealand iteration of Brass Eye or The Day Today that a guy called Jeremy Wells hosted and a guy called Paul Cassidy helped him write. And that was, I thought that was incredibly funny. I thought, like, I looked at what Jeremy Wells was doing and I thought that looks like a pretty good time. Uh, and then by the time I got to university, Concords were coming on. And then I was sort of expanding my, my comedic, you know, tastes and horizons. But... I sort of, I was sooner enjoying laughing at my friends and with my friends and making them laugh than I was probably, you know, I, 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 I came to stand up or discovered how much I loved stand up quite late. Like I wasn't listening to specials, wasn't watching specials over and over again. So how did you come to it then? So, so like, cause I, you can still see that spirit of enjoying, you know, your friends making you laugh and you making your friends laugh in you like that. But there. But there is this other thing, like, you know, this desire to do your own thing and find your own voice and, yeah. you know, do your own shows. And like, yeah. so when did that come into your so life? So I, I start, I think I must've watched some stand up. There was a, sh- the, the show that sort of planted the seed of me pursuing stand up. It was something I think I'd thought of, but it was too embarrassing. In New Zealand, the, the heftiest insult on the schoolyard is a try hard. Um, one of the most embarrassing things you could do would be to apply yourself to a passion that is that's you know you'd you'd have to be an absolute moron to try that and uh so that was a huge barrier to to trade in terms of putting myself in in order to to try things yeah yeah that's that's loser talk yeah and so you know and if especially if you think you're funny or you laugh with your friends the idea of then advertising or pursuing that in a public forum and having to live through not being good at it, you know, like, is it, you know, you could get hot in a gig, but the knowledge that you would be learning a new skill was a, a deterrent. And so, but there was a show called uh, Die Hemwood's Protégé. So there was a great sort of low budget channel called C4, Die Hemwood's Protégé. Die had his own show called Insert Video Here. And um, it was like the, a comedy competition in New Zealand. And it was a 
basically open call everyone around the world. It's still before the internet's huge. So it's, you, you know, you've got to film yourself doing like a minute of jokes or whatever and submit it. And then they pull all of that and they choose a, you know, they choose the finalists or whatever. Then they do a comedy show and it's judged. And if you win, you get to like open for die on a tour of New Zealand or okay. something. Which are, like, I mean, it would have been a pretty big deal. It was I huge, imagine, a huge right? deal. Yeah. Yeah. New Zealand, um, you know, globalization hasn't totally diluted how, how many people are watching this or how interesting this is. And of course I have an inclination towards it. So I'm interested. And you know, like, uh, Rose Matafeo enters, Heidi O'Loughlin enters, Guy Williams enters and he wins. And I sort of watched that with interest and I was like, I think this, I'd like to do that, but I don't try it. And then I, at Victoria University, I'm coming out of the library one night and Guy Williams, who's just won this show I've seen on TV, is standing out the front. He's canvassing. He's running for like student body president, you know, some sort of, you know, bureaucratic role inside of the university. I was like, holy shit, man. I saw you. You were on um, TV. You won Diane Henwood's protege. I've thought about doing stand-up because, oh, it's great, man. There's an open mic every Monday in Wellington. If you want to have a crack, just head on down, get into it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then just followed the information away. Never used it. Didn't. It was still too embarrassing because, I was, you know, I was, I was still finding out about weed and gaming. And then... Uh, finished university, moved to Auckland and it's sort of at this point, you know, I'm starting to watch more stand up. I remember like, I remember a time watching, like, I remember. Do you move to Auckland because like you just moved to Auckland because that's the big, like the it's biggest, biggest city. city. Yeah. Or do you move to like, what, why do you think you moved to Auckland? Uh, my grandma was living in Auckland and I was sort of thought of it as a pilgrimage north until I got out of New Zealand. I was yeah. like, I'll just keep going one step up, one step up until I'm I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah, it's a bigger place. There was a postgraduate degree in like uh, screenwriting that I was sort of interested in, but again, not in a passionate way, not in a way that I was actually going to do it or be good at it. Just like, a, you know, I can dress this up and, you know, tell mum and dad I'm still going. <laughs> Give myself a couple more years. Yeah, of exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... I get up to Auckland and then, you know, go back to where we started earlier in this conversation where it's like, this is when I'm, I'm still trying to maintain this lifestyle and everyone else is getting their jobs and I think, okay, I gotta, I gotta start taking it seriously. And I, yeah, I remember at one point I was watching, um, there's an old Louis CK special. I think it was hilarious. And I was, it was the middle of the day. I was at a friend's house and I was like, I was laughing. I was really laughing. I was laughing like it was one of the hardest laughs I can remember. Not, you know, I think the hardest laughs always with friends, but like watching something, I was like, oh, this is like, this is really interesting. You know, like imagine doing this to someone. Yeah. And so that's like the idea that like a stranger could make you laugh as much as your exact, friends. Yeah. And that, so it really takes seed then. Yeah. And eventually when I decide I'm going to do it, I don't want to do it in New Zealand. You know, I don't want to, um, I, I, I couldn't take myself to open mics cause I'd rather hang out with my friends. You know, I don't want to meet a bunch of new people and like, and I don't want them to know, or I don't want them to see me learning. So I moved to Montreal. So I thought, I don't know anything. I thought Montreal was where comedy happens. Well, I mean, they had the Just for Laughs well, festival yeah, there. For so three weeks of the year. Yeah. That's exactly where it happens. But that's like, if you don't know anything. Yeah. So I go there. I moved there. Do you speak there. French, by the way? No. Okay. That's I great. know one guy. <laughs> I know a guy called Max. And I move in with Max. I sleep on his couch. And I live there for three months. I, I arrive for the festival. The festival happens. The festival finishes. 
I'm loving it. It's summer in yeah. Montreal. It's a good vibe, but there's not a huge amount yeah. of gigs. Half of them are in French. Right. Who knew? <laughs> the, the city that <laughs> and speaks, I'm, that half the people speak French yeah. and everything is in French it, first. Yes. That the, the <laughs> half the festival might also be in French. So I'm like, I'm doing gigs as many as I can, like maybe two open mics a week. And then I go to Toronto for with a friend. I go to visit Toronto for a week and I get up every night and I think, shit, this is it. And I'm getting really into it. I'm getting quite hooked now. Yeah. And Toronto is a cool place. Toronto is fantastic. Yeah. And so I go back, I pack up my bag and I, I find a, a sublet in Toronto and I move there and um, I get obsessed with data. I do 10 gigs a week. All I do is gigs. So I'm like really data driven. I, I work in a cafe in the day, I do 10 shows every week. You know, and I'm just like, I'm hoovering them up. And are these just like mostly like open micros? They're all like, open you know, they're all micros. I'm not getting yeah. booked. I'm like, yeah. I'm some shitty from New Zealand. But there's enough like gigs around. There's a, it is a phenomenal yeah. place to learn, or it was. I assume it still is. It's a massive city. The issue I think that they find is like there's so many brilliant creative original comics that come up through the Canadian scene, but the ceiling, you hit the ceiling fast and hard. And then, you know you basically have to get to America and it's it's more expensive, it's so much more competitive and everything you've earned in Canada is worth basic, basically nil when you get there. But so I just, that's that's like the genesis of my, my comedy story. It's like I just got obsessed with stand-up. I had no friends, I didn't know anyone in Toronto. So all my friends became the other open micers I was doing comedy with and it's like, you know, it's the ultimate way to, you know, and the number it's of It's interesting gigs- to me though, the idea of going somewhere else to start. So, like, because, like, there's a couple of things that you've, like, brought up here. The first one is this idea of not wanting to be seen to try in front of your friends. Like, it wasn't like you were against the idea of trying, but you didn't want that your friends to see you trying. That was embarrassing. So you'd rather move to the other side of the world rather than have any of your friends see you try. That's right. (laughs) I still, I am still um, embarrassed by learning a new skill. I still, I don't know, yeah, I, I haven't right. uh, conquered this feeling inside of myself. Like if I'm cooking a meal I've not cooked before and it's a little bit out of out of my control or it's a little bit out of hand, I just sort of, I spiral, I can just capitulate, you know. Like to learn a new skill as an adult, I think is such a, um, it's it's a remarkable pursuit. It's something I'd like to improve at, but it's, I find it, I do find it hard. I mean, I will say this, that, like I, I quite like the idea of learning a new skill, but ironically for the pr- profession that we have chosen like if i had to do any of those new skills publicly in front of people when i wasn't good at them then no no exactly. absolutely not and that, i could not stand yes. that's a, that's the challenge with stand-up is you have to learn that yeah. new skill in front of people and so if i got to choose between learning in front of people i know or people who i don't know it's a much softer landing to do it in front of people i don't know does it change though in any way your comedic voice because you go from being like, you know, you, as a starting position, you are a person within a scene where everybody sort of has grown up in the same place as you versus, so then the differentiation comes in what choices you make, whereas you drop yourself into a foreign country and you are the person from New Zealand, you're the fish out of water. Do yeah. you think that that, helps. Like, that choice, like, yeah, well, I mean, just tell me about that choice. Well, so that, Concords are huge at this point as well, and that helps. Because the relationship you are talking about flight of the yeah flight of the concourse right? yeah the musical group not the yeah oh, well the plane yeah the planes I mean if you've seen the, the planes are massive yeah but you know <laughs> but, culturally they're not so no. relevant at this point <laughs> yeah, in time no, no. but if you get a chance to look at one you know don't pass it up <laughs> but why didn't they work they got why did they stop flying 
uh, I mean, I believe they're still playing. It's super expensive, I think, was the whole point. And the right? appeal was they went fast, right? Very fast. And they had a funny nose. I mean, I don't think the appeal was the funny nose. I think the funny <laughs> nose was part of the design that made them go fast. But I'm not sure. It might have just been a bit of architectural flair. But it feels like when you're designing something to go really fast, that you're not just putting... You need to do a funny nose. You're not nose. changing the aerodynamics you of look the, at all the nose. Look at just, all the great sprinters. They've all got fun. funny noses. They can put the, put the <laughs> end up. <laughs> Would that be against the rules? If the Olympics <laughs> final, Usain Bolt came out with like a... a nose extension. Just like a Concorde-style <laughs> nose. But so the, the flight of the Concords yes. are, are huge. New Zealand comedy now has a... Because it's not just Flight of the Concords that come with that. You get Reese Darby that comes through with that as well, you know, who was already a yeah. brilliant comedian, but through the show becomes, you know, much more wide known yeah, as yeah. well. Um, and Taika, he's not on the front end of this, but on the back end, he's working his way up. And, you know, but basically, Reese Concords and Reese help pave the way for North Americans to be trained. There's like a Pavlovian response. If they hear a New Zealand accent, this is my belief. If they're at a comedy show, they're comedy fans. Concords hold a huge amount of comedic currency. And so if they hear a New Zealand accent, there's a, an association or there's like a, there's a, a, a point of entry where they'll sit up straight. You know, it's like Jerry Seinfeld talks about, you know, being the most famous comedian in the world. You get, I think, 15 free seconds or 30 free seconds and the rest is up to you. But you get free, you get free points up top where they go, well, obviously I'm going to listen to this. It's Jerry Seinfeld. And I felt like, you know, my own shit-eating open mic way. It's like, as soon as I started talking, I could, you know, I could hold the room. And then the challenge was to, how long could I stretch that out for? And so there was a value in that. And, you know, when you're starting, you're aping everyone's style and voice. And I was aping Reese Darby. I was um, performing my jokes in Reese's cadence, basically. And, you know, it was just, it was just a way, it was, I guess it's like a, it's inevitable when you're starting that you're copying someone, but there's also a level of protection inside of it, I think. You know, and the challenges you go on is, of course, to just keep shedding the lace. I mean, you're always taking from people and you just keep, fil you know, especially when you're starting, you're taking from so many sources and you just keep layering them on top of each other until hopefully whatever your voice is emerges through all of the, the layering you've got there. But, there, I mean, these are, all, yeah, this was all part of how I got started, was thinking about these things. The cultural context of Canada and New Zealand is interesting to me because if you're a Kiwi coming to Australia, it's a very different dynamic. You're a Kiwi going to the UK, it's a different dynamic. The Kiwi going to America at that time probably would have been different again. Like certainly as an Australian, I know having done gigs, like, you know, that like America, oh my God, like Americans can listen to Australians talk all day long. Yeah. Like people would be like, it must have been hard what? to go to some places. I was not. Like, they just liked listening to me and, talk. And they're also such well-heeled audiences. Right. Like, they're so excited. You know, it's the opposite of that try-hard thing in New Zealand. Like, they celebrate effort. They celebrate the concept of exceptionalism. Or if you've chosen to be... In New Zealand, I think, when you step it on a stage, there's sort of like, you know, the people are sitting back, their arms across, they're going, well, obviously, you think you're funny. You well, know? even, like, I mean, Con Concords, like, I mean, part of the genius was, you know, wasn't it like New Zealand's fourth best comedy yeah, folk outfit yeah. or whatever Exa it was. So exactly. Even that was like an immediate sort of, like, it, it, we're doing it comedically, but it is also 
culturally, contextually, and very even, New Zealand. So I, I moved after, you know, years, years later, I moved to New York or whatever, and I've spent yeah. a bit of time in America. And one of the cultural, so what cultural adjustment you have to make is in New Zealand, if someone says to you, are you good at something? You know, are yeah. you good at, you can, do you play tennis? Yeah, I'm all right. And yeah, you go, yeah, yeah. I'm all right. That means, okay, you're pretty yeah, good at pretty tennis. Good. We yeah. could play tennis with each other and we'd have a good match. <laughs> In America, if someone says, you good at yeah. tennis, and you say, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I think, right, okay, yeah. this guy's an absolute shit yeah. muncher. I'm never going to play tennis with <laughs> yeah. him. Matter of fact, I'm not going to talk to him. And so you've got to- Yeah, unless you've you got say to... I'm the greatest tennis exactly. player that has ever been. Richard Williams weeps when he looks at me so play tennis. you've got to calibrate your response. <laughs> and it's it, it, because of this ingrained sense of how yeah. embarrassing it is to be a tryhard, it, it's actually something to overcome, to be like, I'm good, you know, to put yourself out and say, I'm good at that. And I think probably the balance or the truth lies in the middle, where it's like, New Zealanders are too self-effacing. Americans are too self-confident. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's what in America, success itself is enough. I mean, that's I mean, look, Trump's the greatest of all examples of it, but by far and away, not the only example of the idea that they don't measure what it is that you became successful in as highly as how successful you, are you now. became exactly. from from doing it. But yeah. so this is why I'm fascinated by oh, the Canada thing, Canada and New Zealand. So, Two kind of like <laughs> weirdly similar, but like yeah. different culturally. Well, like, what is that? So, well, some of the so before we get to that, some of the informing yeah. parts of going to Canada. It's in the Commonwealth. Very yep. easy to get a visa. Didn't want to come to Australia. Too close. Didn't want to go to the UK because I know a lot of people there. Canada, easy to get a visa. I don't know anyone. It's big. It's new, but it is to an extent. It's similar, and um. There is, we do share a, a disposition in some sense. I mean, they've still got a lot of the, that North American moxie in them, but like, you know, they have been a small, a smaller sibling their whole yeah. life. No one is looking to Canada. No, they're, they're all looking. They're North America's New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and so there is a, there's yeah. an instinctive camaraderie there yeah. that, um, I, it, it wasn't a huge informing part of it, but it, you know, it's a happy coincidence. Yeah, no, they, they both have an asshole older brother. Yeah, that, exa exactly. You know, they know what that's like. They exactly. might not be the same country, but they can. Emphasize. And also, <laughs> we share in that we're constantly mistaken for the oldest. Yeah. You know, and it's a very important part yeah. of our identity yeah, and point of distinction them. for us. Yeah. No, 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 I'm not. You know, yeah. I'm not them. They're more successful, but they are They're not worse. as pleasant. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And but I need to make cost? that clear. <laughs> Exactly. So, but, okay, but how does this guy who, one of his major motivations up until this point seems to be camaraderie, his peers, his friends, like, you know, his adventures, how does he end up you know, making a decision, like, I'm going to go to somewhere where I know no one? Well, so I think all of that comfortability that you're talking about and all of that being embedded in a, you know, a, a heavily ensconced in a very safe group of friends, like is also withholding some of my actual ambition or like, you know, at, uh, to that point, I'd never been remotely near outside my comfort zone. All I'd done was just like have laughs with my friends and get by. And that was enough. And when you're young, you know, the basically you only look as far in, or I was only looking as far in front of me as, you know, that night. And it's when the when everyone else starts rounding out their pictures, you start thinking, well, you know, I've got, I've got quite a lot in front of me, and what am I going to do with it? And I think beyond the comedy component, I thought there was power and value, and you know, just totally extricating myself from all of the comforts around me and saying, well, what happens if you do this? You know, like it's um, 
I've I've had a remarkably fortunate life. I grew up in a nuclear family, you know, like we, was, everything broke right for me. And, you know, like I felt like I had to introduce some element of variance. Otherwise it's like, I could just be anyone. I could just be the next person down at the pub in a suit. Okay. So yeah. So there needed to be some bigger action, like, and some opportunity to maybe like, shed other people's perception of who you are that was keeping you locked in a uh, I think place? So. I just think, yeah, I just think it just felt like I had to, I had to leave. I, and, it, you know, it also it had been, I had, I didn't have a reason, but there had been this internal through line where it was like, I am migrating north. I will keep yeah. going until just I'm not in the country north. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> further and further. And when I first left, yeah. when I went to Canada, I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I won't go back to New Zealand until I'm a star. I went back after. Yeah, yeah. after then you're like, I, I, I miss the place. Yeah, I can't I'll wait go, I'll go back. Then. You know what? I'll visit in between, exactly. but then I'll make a big appearance back there. Yeah, when yeah. I am a star. But I, you know, like I, I have such a, I have such a uh, kinship and soft spot for Toronto, and I go back, yeah. and you know, like the, this is a, this is one of the probably the most formative years of my life. It's when I started taking actual responsibility for what I wanted to do, and so the people who I was coming up with, who are all now brilliant you know, comics, Canadian comics, I could, I can go back and like, it's amazing, you know, that the people that you do form those bonds with, and especially as an outsider for only one year, and then you go away, and because of social media now, you can actually track what everyone's doing, you know, it's kind of, it's amazing, I feel permanently enmeshed with this very far away, very unlikely scene. I mean, the only tough thing about living in Toronto for you would have been like, I mean, obviously you like weed and it is completely unavailable <laughs> in that city. <laughs> yeah, it was, t- it was tough to kick the weed for a year. <laughs> I, uh, I, I literally, once when I was in Canada, I was doing a gig at um, what that great club that's in um in Toronto, like in comedy the, bar or comedy bar, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that is correct That's on Bloor Street, and the, the the one that down the yeah, steps, cool. that is correct. It was and it was very cool, and like a whole bunch of people came to the show, and it was a very fun show. And then these two young men afterwards came up and gave me so much weed, like I mean, just like an amount of weed that I was like, how many people do you think I have with me on this trip? Like this is like a, a, yeah. a sack of weed. Like it's often the way if you get given weed yeah. by someone who's you know like. I've I've been given weed when I come to Melbourne before, and it's I I, I like it, but I'm not um I don't smoke huge amounts of it. I just smoke a small amount, somewhat consistently. Yeah. I can never get you know like I, I can never get sack. through. It's fine. Yeah, it's very generous, <laughs> and you know, it's nice to have you know more than less. But yeah. I I you share you this is too much. Share it around. Yeah, you. that's right. That's right. Yeah. This is way too much. Uh, okay, but so you said a year there. Did you go to New York immediately after that? I visited New York on that trip. Uh-huh. I never. I didn't go to New York after that. Right. I got. I. I was plan. I was trying to figure out how to get a visa. I was still. I think maybe eligible. There's a visa called a J one or something. It's, visa chat's never been interesting. But I was looking into either going there or London afterwards. Then I got a job offer. So before I'd left, I hadn't been doing stand up, but I, there was a, a, a publicly funded channel, RT, uh, ABC equivalent called TVNZ, had a youth channel called TVNZU, uh, and they had an afternoon show. Rose was actually one of the original hosts, and it was a, a like a video select show with an on-screen presenter and an on-screen producer who ran the whole show through something called a TriCast. They were like mixing sound and vision live on air, and um, they were launching, they have been going for a, a year or two years, and I'd relieved a little bit, like I'd been on as a relief host, I was the fifth wheel basically, there were four rotating hosts, and if someone was sick, I'd get called in. 
And so while I was away, they decided they were going to launch a late night show called You Late, on-screen producer and an anchor, a host. And they said, my friend was the on-screen producer, a guy called Tim Lamborn. And the channel said, would you want to come home and host this late night? So it's an hour and a half every night, at 10.30 till midnight, every Monday to Friday, hosting, like on the bones of its ass, a, a TV show on this youth channel. And I was sort of like, I, d I had a resistance to going home. But then I'm talking to all these comedians who I've just made friends with in Canada. And I'm like, you know, what do you think? And they're like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, right. any of us would go literally kill someone yeah. to do this job. And so I was like, oh, well, obviously this is once in a life. And so I go back uh, at, the end of my, uh, at the end of a year. So I spent three months in Montreal and nine in Toronto. And then um, do the show. And it's like, it's we're, we're coming up with an hour and a half of fucking TV mm. Every day yeah. for five days a week for like not enough, you know, like it's crazy what's being asked of yes. us, but also it's the best way to learn. When else, in what other country, in what other planet do you get offered that opportunity? And so I do that and then we do that for six months and then the CEO of the entire network or TVNZ changes and comes in and they clear house and they look at TVNZ U and they say, well, that whole station's losing money. We'll get mm. rid of that. And so they just ax the whole channel. Oh. And so they let, like, there's a huge amount of talent that had been coming up through that channel. They just let everyone go. Everyone's released. Um, and then I'm left back in New Zealand, you know, with this passion for stand-up, no real job. And I start, I go, I put it all back into stand-up. And so I apply for the Billy T, which is a big award there. I do my first hour show um, and start building traction that way. And, like, because no one in the New Zealand comedy scene really knew me because I hadn't done it there, I was some unknown entity who had just come back from spending a year, like, doing you know, the, the amount of gigs you rack up a year in Canada would take you three to four years in New Zealand to build up. So, um, I, there was an, I could, there was an element of surprise that I could use where it was like people had no idea who I was or that I was good. And I was relatively speaking. I That's was right. Good. Cause you, you had those three year acceleration. Like yeah. Gigs, gigs wise. And so but you also had that outside perspective. Also, you hadn't had to deal with what the rest of them had to deal with, yeah, which was yeah. be seen to be trying in front of their friends, well, no, which is obviously the, the most embarrassing the, thing of yeah. all that you and can do. As I a think Kiwi. also, you know, you, it means that you can sort of come in outside of internal, not that it's especially relevant, but like internal po politics? comedy politics. Comedy you know, politics. Like, I'm not aware of yeah. who is the next anointed up and coming comedian and, you know, who's missed their window and who's but had their also, chance. But also, is there any disadvantage to that? Like, was there any pushback against uh, the idea? I, yeah, that... I couldn't get, I didn't get booked at the club mm. and, like, you know, but I got nominated for the Billy T. And once that happens, all of the nominees are afforded the same opportunities between being nominated in the festival, like, to create, which is, is quite a, possibly an overreach. I don't know if it's still the case, but, like, the club books all of the comedians the same amount of time between then and the show yeah to 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 you know create equitable opportunity i guess and uh so i started doing it then and i was like i you know and i sort of used the fact that i couldn't get booked and people didn't really know me or that i was funny as a chip to be like well i'll, I'll fucking show you i'm hilarious and I, I you know i put i worked incredibly hard um and you know put together a really good show and sold it out and i won and i was like yeah, wash me now. <laughs> and then I took all of that momentum as an opportunity to be complacent. Cause I was like, <laughs> you're like back to my old ways. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I've, you know, I've done all that now. Yeah. I tried really hard at something once and it worked really well. Enough yeah. of that. Well, that's the thing. Cause that when you're not trying, that's the belief, right? If you don't try on an essay or a yeah. university paper, you can live your whole life being like, I could have got a plus for that. If you don't risk applying yourself and finding out, you can live with the knowledge. You could be brilliant at anything. And so, 
then you do it, you prove yourself right, and you think, well, I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> it can only be downhill from here. You can yeah. only disprove the theory. Exactly. By having to raise my standards every year. It's lonely at the top. <laughs> and so how long does that reset go for? The, how long do you the complacency? Back, yeah, how far back? How how long does complacency kick in for? As a stand-up, probably a year. I do a worse show the next year. Yeah. I don't finish writing before the festival, and like New Zealand festivals short, so I never run it in properly. And but there's other stuff happening at this time. Tim Bat and I start our podcast, the worst idea of all time. You know, I meet Tim through doing TVNZU. He came on with a segment called the Lou Review. He'd review public toilets. We had a really good rapport. And then when the station got cancelled, Tim had a background in radio production. So we start this podcast, the worst of all time, where we watch and review the same movie every week for a year. And then that sort of suddenly generates some traction. And I'm part of this improv group, Snort. And that, you know, like, as an individual, my pursuit of stand-up comedy and my dedication is waning. But there are other part, there are other constituent parts of a comedy career that all of a sudden, you know, and I'm, I'm getting momentum on the back of collaboration and working with other people. Yeah. And so then, and I'm also becoming enmeshed in the New Zealand scene. And that generation, all of those people who I'm coming up, this is in like 2014, you know, they are like, you know, we, everyone always, it's funny, isn't it? You always think of yourself as still new or like, you know, establishing yourself. But at some point you have to reckon with the fact that you're not, you know, you've a right, there's a two or three generations beneath, you know, like you're, you're established to an extent or whatever. But like the comedians in that scene now. Yes, please, please tell me about this guy. As I stare down my 27th yeah, exactly. Melbourne Comedy Festival. What do you feel? Say, do you like, still feel new? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, and when I see my friends who are the people I started with, I feel new. Yeah, like, and you, all being together and seeing each other would make you all feel new because it's the same nerves, it's the same anxieties, it's the same fucking group. And like, and I, and I do think that you get frozen in time a little by yeah. when you start, yeah. and like who's around when you start. And yeah, you know, I was watching Lewis Garnham's show in the Regent Room the other night. I've yeah. brought this up a couple of times on podcasts, so I apologise yeah, to yeah. listeners, but. Um, yeah, so the Regent Room at the Town Hall was where I did my first show when I did the, and he's like on stage doing this show about being 27 and like, you know, like where he's, he's in his life. And I'm like, when I was doing my show on that stage, you weren't born. Like you've had this whole life that you're talking about and like here you are like on stage. He, be, he like, bears a passing resemblance to you as well. And I was like, I, you weren't born when I started doing yeah. this. So of course, like not just have there been other generations, but this guy's had his entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Like yeah. in the period between when I was yeah. him standing there and, and him being there standing there. Time comes for us all. But, you know? you, but, but what you were saying was there was a generation of, acts around you at that time we were all pushing you know pushing each other forward and lifting each other up and um you know i credit i credit tim and the podcast and snort and all of the people inside of that um so much for like elevating you know and and lifting me and the broad you know and the standard and like you know the realization of what we could all achieve and the scope how big the scope of our ambition can be and you know, like that's sort of part of what what fed into the work ethic that I developed through this period. When all of a sudden I was like, I really, you know, I actually love this. I want to be good. It's not embarrassing that I want to be good at this. It's fucking awesome. And so then we start coming over to Australia. Rose and I came over and did a split bill in 2015, and then start coming back. And then you know, all of a sudden it doesn't become warp speed. But then it's like, at this point, I'm. You know, I don't have to think about other career. I mean, I might. You never know how long it's going to last. But I like it's. I do comedy. I'm a comedian. You know, 
Yeah. So suddenly it's like, so how that idea of like coming to Australia to do a show, like, you know, going to it. I mean, you had done, like, obviously you'd moved overseas to do comedy. So yeah. for you, maybe it isn't as big a deal as it might have been no. for other people. But the idea that you aren't just going, like, I'm going to go and do open mics in, like, you know, Montreal and Toronto. This is you going, hey, we're a thing. And we're like we're planning on being a thing for a while because that's basically what putting on a show is in a way. Like not for everybody, like it can be whatever it wants to be, but for a lot of people, it's just a graduation through the industry. Here's my here's my introduction. Yeah. Here's my next yeah. thing. Here's my next thing. Here's yeah, what I can do now. And that's what yeah, and that's what it was. So Rose yeah. had won the Billy T the year before me in 2013. I'd won it in 2014. Snort had started sort of in between that period, and so we bring over. Um, snort for the first time, and that's got like you know other fantastic uh, New Zealand you know comics who are still going inside of it as well. Uh, and we start doing those shows, and Rose and I are doing a split bill, and then you know we start bringing Snort back every year, and then that's a means of people bringing over solo shows, and so that's sort of the the genesis of how our group has started coming over to Australia. And it was it is scary it's scary because it's bigger and you know, like it seems more established and the acts here are more slick. You know, like the work ethic has to be better here. This is what I found. This is what I kind of think. It's it's less true now. I think it's less true across I don't know actually. I don't you know, I never know what I'm talking about. But like I think that I always thought when I came to Australia that the com- the comedians, while not necessarily naturally funnier, would write their joke to nearer to completion than in New Zealand. In New Zealand, you could get a joke 80% done and the scene's small enough and that was good enough that you'd get work off the back of that. You come to Australia, the joke has to be 90% done, 95% done to get the same work and opportunity. And so it is intimidating because you think, oh, you know, I don't have as many punchlines or whatever. And so you start grinding like that. Uh, so how how's the reception? Like, is it... Was it welcoming? Was there walls put up? Like, it was, I mean, I'm sure it's a mixed bag probably, yeah, yeah. but what was the overwhelming reception for? As, like, a, as a straight white guy coming to Australia, open arms, brother. <laughs> <laughs> we need more of you. We're starting to get outnumbered. <laughs> uh, it was, no, it was, it was, it was genuinely quite welcoming. Like, you know, you met, um, I think cause we came over as a group as well. We were insulated from a lot of the isolation you can experience, you know, like you're doing a show with eight other people who are coming and doing all this for the first time every night. So you ride your highs and lows together and, yeah. um, and you, and but it's easier to meet other people as like as a group, yeah, well, because you know, like, someone's met someone and then you yeah. get introduced and you all of a sudden between us, we can form a social group. <laughs> exactly. Your worlds are expanding. And then, you know, like I take, um, you know, we didn't do this. We're standing on the shoulders of everyone who's come before us and stuff, but it's so heartening to see just, you know, the number of New Zealanders who are coming over and like the, how intertwined the industries, but you know, cause Australia's always a bigger market to it. Like for a New Zealander in New Zealand, you, you hit the ceiling at some point. If you if you work hard and you have a certain amount of innate talent, you do hit it. And it's you know to see people wanting to come over and coming over and actually making an impression. Oh, like yeah, today, I mean, you, like Ursula and like yeah. you know Mel. And exactly. Like Ray's been doing a great job on. Have you been yeah, paying yeah. attention They're, as well? Like, there's a whole bunch of New Zealand comics. Ve- now. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's um, you know, and it is it is a small enough scene that it, there is a genuine desire and. Uh, kinship in which we do all try to, you know, to, to, to lift each other. And like, it, I always think it's interesting with stand up because ultimately to endorse or condone someone, it doesn't matter how great of a person they are. 
you've also got to think they're funny. Like right. I think the death knell for any comic is like plugging someone because they're a good guy and they're not funny. <laughs> you know, then someone goes and sees it and they're like, that was shit. This fucking, you know, like I think it's a bit of a dance that we have to do inside of the industry where it's like, you know, people will ask you to plug them. And I always think it's like, you have to believe in what you're, you know, like to, to, to advance the, their ability and to advance the, the, you know, the art or whatever. You have to believe that the people you're endorsing are funny. Yeah, I, well, I mean, because you're asking your audience to trust you. And so you're actually trading off a little bit of what you yeah. learned from your and audience. And so you can dilute that trust by, yeah. yeah. But it can also be the opposite. Like, you can actually benefit from recommending things that you're, like, I mean, I've always, like, said to people that I, I think I've always got more out of recommending, being yeah. a generous supporter and Absolutely. recommender. Like, because if someone goes and sees, like, if I say, go and see Guy's show, and they go and see your show and they enjoy it, yeah. like, I get a little bit of that credit well, absolutely. as well, you, right? you know, like, you're, and it's like, it's, it's I a get a little spotter's fee in yeah. sort of. And it's a generous yeah. act to, like, you know, to, to match make essentially between the next wave of comics and, you know, audiences who are looking for the next thing or for, or for looking for but more comedy. you also don't want to send, like, I've, I've thought about this before as well, which is there are comedians that I love that I wouldn't recommend my audience go and see. Because of course. I think they'd ruin the comedian's night. Yeah, yeah. You know so I mean? like, everyone's sensibilities yeah. are different. You know, everything right? has to be bespoke to an extent. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. You know, like. <laughs> I don't know who you're thinking of in terms of performer or audience, but I love where your head's at. <laughs> we can't just all freely endorse the things we find funny. <laughs> we can't, though. And sometimes you're just like, because. There's a difference between what I find funny and what I do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, th they aren't necessarily the same thing. And in fact, what I would be looking for in a stand-up comedian isn't necessarily me. Like, I try to be the best version of what it is that I can be on stage. But that isn't, like, if I was going to order for... It's the difference between here's the best meal that I can cook you versus what's the like yeah. the best meal that I would you're eat not, if, give it, if someone else... Yeah, if like, you go out for a meal, you're not going to yeah. order... The, your signature dish no. that you can cook at home. That's right. Yeah, well, I, I know give how me to something do I can't yeah. fucking do. I know what that tastes like. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to like, and so I understand that if you like, you like eating at this restaurant every year, yeah. you might not actually like this other yeah. one that I'm about to recommend. <laughs> yeah. It's going to have some connection, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah. Okay. So comedy becomes your life. You're at this point where like you took your eye off stand up a little bit at this point, but you're collaborating a lot with other people. Is there, one you prefer more than other, like, I mean, because I, I love both. Like, I love collaborating with other people and making mm. things. I like doing things by myself. Like, yeah. are you pulled one way or the other when it comes to, like, which of them you prefer? Or is there, a, like, a, a balance? Like, is there a percentage balance that is I, the right percentage in your life? I think there's, there's a, a natural balance just because they're all kind of feeding into each other, you know, and it's a small group of people. It feels like... A, a few different things are happening but it's all like I've always my ambition has always um just been to be funny like, I just want to be funny I don't really I don't want to figure out how to engineer a podcast I don't want to know how to you know like my dream has always been it's and this again stems back to the idea that um it's not work so I don't and the new skill thing you know it's all they're all tethered to each other I don't want to have to conquer a new skill to release, you know, like I just want to, I just want to be funny. And so collaborating with people who are on the same wavelength, but have complementary skill sets is, it's fucking, uh, it's the only way to get. You know. I love what you say though. Like, because what you say, you, I mean, 
I love when someone's on this show and they say something out loud that like I know to be true in my head <laughs> that I never would admit publicly unless somebody else said it first, which is, so I do these improvised shows. Like, you know, yeah. they're essentially crowd work shows. Yeah, but they're yeah. just like, you know, I make it all up in the room and it's on the spot and no show's the same and blah, blah, blah. And everyone finds it so intimidating. Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, people are just like, oh, I can't I believe why that you must be. It's because it's the least amount of work. That's right. And if I can and get. If it's not scary to you, then why wouldn't you do I that? If I could get away with like doing the least amount of work, like it's like this thing of going, I'm willing to do the work to get good enough at something that is the least amount Exa of work. That's exactly what it is. And those improvised <laughs> shows, you know, what you're not accounting for is the backlog of stand up, you know, everything yeah. you've done that feeds into your ability to do this of now. Course. But on the day. Yeah. Don't have to don't think have to about write. it all day. Yeah, no. I, I just go. Don't have to write anything. Yeah, you just, just show go. Up. Be funny. And I, you know, like I, it's fun. I make myself laugh because I haven't heard it before. It's actually. Either. I mean, I've talked to my, I talked to my therapist about this because I've always uh -huh. been a bit of a punisher on my own work ethic. I've always yeah. thought I have. I'm instinctively lazy, and it's sort of it's a recurring um, motif in our conversations. And she always challenges me to be like, well, no, you're not. Like, you know, I think it's. I think it's a hangover from. Um, school and university and this idea of not applying myself when I, when I sincerely didn't. And I think that that idea of my own work ethic that I carry with me today is a hangover from a, a time when that was genuinely the case, you know, and especially when you start creating your own job or your own work, it's actually harder to gauge how, what your work ethic is because who's grading that curve, you know, like it's, it's, you don't, you, of course you could always work harder. Like you could work every minute of every day if you want. You're in charge of yourself. But also is that it's, well, the best no. idea for your work? It's not. Like, right? Like, yeah. I mean, because that can be the mistake that we all make, which is like throwing ourselves into what we perceive but is the work. Yeah. When And realize that there's nothing to work well, I, with because we haven't spent any time doing anything or seeing anything or consuming anything or yeah. thinking in a different way. And you, or, you just totally exist in this vacuum right. and you, you know, you lose the idea of value or what you like, even I'm so deadline driven. So I'm doing these spelling bees during the festival. I've got a, a it's called Guy Montgomery's Guy Mont Spelling Bee. I've been doing a live show every Friday and I got two this week. I'm doing one on the Saturday as well. And it would make so much sense for me to spend every day of the week doing two hours of work in the morning where I just start writing it, you know, you know how to, you write the shit version first and then you put the jokes in and, but I can't, it has to be on the day. And some of the jokes could be funnier, but I don't think the show suffers for it. You know, like it's born of a movement. It's born of a moment that's been coming out of my brain and it's like, it's an entity and I don't know what the, you know, like I, I know that I find those days where I have to, churn a whole show out to be stressful but i also know even now it's in my power to make it less stressful i could go home after this conversation and knock out a few hours work and still inside of that i know i won't you know but it's there is like yeah so I, it's funny this was the thing i was going to tell you earlier and of course you know we just yeah. got distracted and wandered off to yeah. something else but i've been having this conversation a lot with people during the festival which is the idea of like, and it goes exactly to what you're talking about now, which is what's work and what's not work. So sometimes not work is the work. So you can work on a show in particular, and this is something that I just have a relevant example of from. So yeah, David O'Doherty was saying to me that sometimes he'll just like be working on a show. He knows there's a few things in there that 
probably don't need, but he hasn't quite worked out what it is or whatever. He'll not do it for a month. The first night he goes back, he won't look over the show. He'll just try to do it from memory. And more often than not, your memory remembers all the good bits yeah. and just edits an out the bits that don't need to be there, right? Yeah. Like it's the not work that was the work. He couldn't yeah. work it out by staring at it or like doing it more. And it happened to me just on the, so I had a Sunday night show. I've been like, this, yeah, yeah. I've been doing the show the entire time. Yeah. Like this, like this, this one routine in particular, I've been doing this exact same way for the entire time in the show. Had one night off, Monday night, this, did my Tuesday night show, forgot this bit that normally comes about 20 minutes into yeah, the yeah. show. Forgot it. And it's kind of a pivotal idea to the show. It seeds something that's... But, yeah, well, anyway, it turns out the whole time it's just been in the wrong spot. Because yeah. I was like, oh, actually, there's probably a better place to put this in right towards the end. Yeah. And I put it there and I was like, oh, yeah, that's how... On the fly, on the Tuesday. Yeah, yeah on the yeah. Tuesday. Because I was like, I need to say this thing. Yeah. Like, it's not like one of those ones where I could just go, oh, that's not in tonight. Because it's kind of pivotal to an overall thing. And I was like, where else could it be? Like, so, you know, you'd be, you're doing that thing of like, half yeah. of you's doing the show yeah, and the other half is yeah, shuffling yeah. in. Where else could I put this in? Yeah. And where it fit, I was like, oh... It's always oh, been it's here. always meant to be yeah, there. Yeah. And it was my brain. I wouldn't have done that without my brain. You wouldn't have it. sat down to do that. No. No. Well, the, yeah. I didn't I mean, even know it was broken until. I try to do happened. that as, you know, like you will organize just the virtue of running a show and night after night is, is constantly rigid. Like I stop, I listen back for the first week and then I just stop yeah. and I let, you know, the muscle memory and, you know, the stuff is constantly moving around. And I mean, I could work harder in that. I could probably. I need to sit down and actually drill down exactly where bits go because some bits have been moving every night and some nights it, it, it clicks in perfectly and other nights I'm like, oh, no, it was like, you know, it was maybe half a sentence early. Uh, anyway, it's um, the, the, the conversation about the not working is the working, I, I totally agree with. And even like I think in, in a festival like this, you know, the napping is the working. I think of a nap as a, I'm on the clock. Yeah, because I got I'm, yeah. I got to sleep. That's part of my job that night. Yeah, I make I gotta say the like I like to go into this festival like a, a few kilos under rather than a few kilos over because for me it's become the eating is the work. Like the amount of times my brain has a conversation with you know what your your body needs for the show tonight a nice big meal right now yeah full of carbohydrates absolutely like, yeah. but, <laughs> you like, got, but that's the work yeah you got to have some energy you got to have these people you've tonight. absolutely got to have the energy <laughs> it's all it's all the work uh, okay so um, let's stop talking about work for a second oh I ask people on this podcast whether they have a life philosophy and I I, I should at least cover that off in some way do you have one like is there like, and it can be to any aspect of your life, like work, life, love, challenges, disappointments. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, I think I haven't got an, a neat sentence. I, I think simultaneously, I think um, to enjoy what you have and also to remember that nothing matters, are, are the two big ones. I take great comfort in um, the macro view. Most people will never listen to this. Most people will never see me do that. No one cares. Right. And yes. that's, that's empowering. Of the billions of people alive on the planet right now, a very small percentage of them it's not important. are even seeing Carl Barron and Ursula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the biggest names we know. And so I, uh, you know, I, I take um, great solace in that. It's sort of, it's, it's, 
you've ever tried hallucinogens, you can have a similar thing where it's like, you know, just how absurd everything is in the perspective, you know, that gets afforded to you where you're looking at something, you know, well, you know, this is ridiculous. I, 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 um, I love that feeling. So the macro level that nothing matters, I understand, like step yeah. back and see. And it's, it, it's not, it's not, um, it's not to say to not care or try or yeah. anything like so that. that. I guess that's what I was going to tease out a little, which is yeah. like, so then like, is it just a choice? What is important? Like, how do you decide what is important in your life? How do you prioritize what it is that you value within that context? Well, it's the comedy festival is an interesting time to talk about this stuff because it is, you know, you spend so much time around other people doing exactly the same thing. Everyone's focus is pointed in the same direction. And so you wind up living in this, you know, false self-inflated environment where it's like the value of everything is totally distorted because you know, we, we basically construct this, you know, nonsensical infrastructure around us for a month and you can feel quite unmoored from, you know, oh, reality. your, your actual life. It can feel life. like it's what everybody is talking about. Yeah. Because and, particularly with the Melbourne Comedy Festival, but I, it's similar with Edinburgh and some other festivals, but the geographical nature of Melbourne is it's grid city. Everything's funneled into the middle of the city. Right. Most people are staying in the middle of the city. Yeah. Like I've noticed this year I'm saying – in the suburbs, about 40 minutes out of town at my sister's house, dog sitting, and uh, very different perspective on the festival. It'll be a lot when healthier, you're too. walking the dog in the morning, and you're like, oh, yeah, no one cares about the comedy festival. No, <laughs> like, and that's, that, yeah, I, I'm staying out. Yeah. I'm not that far out, but I'm in Cremorne this year. Oh, and yeah. It's like, just to be able to remove yourself at all. And so I think about it in those terms where I'm like, well, where, where do I derive value in my life? And it's like, you know, it's my family, it's my friends, it's like having a laugh with them, where if I if something goes well or poorly, if I have a good show or a bad show, there is no measure on how they perceive me or, you know, the quality of time we spend together. They don't actually care. They'll care if I'm in a bad mood, but they don't care if I'm funny one night or not the next. And so, and I, there's a certain level, I suppose, of taking, you know, the idea that I am funny or like there's a self-confidence where it's like, I you know, I believe in myself to the point that, I don't have, you know, I let myself ride a good or a bad gig for the night, you know, and the next morning it's just not relevant. And just trying to maintain that. And it's hard when you're away from your family and like, you know, you you you, you are waking and sleeping inside of that false economy. But Because that's different, like now. Like, I mean, like you talk about family. It's like, you know, you're not a young man who can just like, I mean, we talk about this idea of we all still feel like we're young, but like life's responsibilities sneak up upon us. And if you want to continue being able to play silly buggers for a living, then like that other people come into your life that are affected by you know, yeah, the decision yeah. that you might be away for like a period of time exactly. or that you might be out late at night or you yeah. know, any of these things that come with the nature of the job. So how do you balance, you know, like how do you balance your comedy life, like your professional life, you know, with your like personal life and real life to uh, so whatever level you're comfortable well, talking about. Yeah, that. well, so I'm, I have been with my partner Chelsea for almost six years and uh, I'm a stepdad to our daughter Olive. Um, and so, you know, and when I, I, I met Chelsea when I was in New York and then we sort of did long distance for a few years, which was, you know, had its own challenges. And then I moved home, independent of any pandemic, I moved home in December 2019 because I wanted to pursue this relationship and then got locked into a house 
with a family for, you know, we co-parent, it's a 50-50 split, but got locked into a life, you know, a, a version of it, which none of us had anticipated. Like we thought, well, you know, I'll still be able to travel for work and, you know, like all of a sudden it's this very unusual, you know, domestic lock-in. And so it was kind of perfect in a way because it accelerated that that sense of union and connection, whether or not it was a functional relationship or not, you find out a lot very quickly. And so in the aftermath of that, and, you know, Olive was very young then, and as she's getting older, it does, it, it, there is a greater toll that it takes, you know, on all of us as a family when you go away for longer periods. It's like to go away for five weeks is, is a lot longer now than it would have been, than it was a year ago, than it would have been two years ago. And so... You just sort of, you know, you pick your spots and you, you know, like I, I would love to go and do Edinburgh again, but I won't because I'm never going to live in the UK. I'm never going to make money doing it. Yeah. Like, it's it's it, just, you'd be doing it for your own It's a vanity project now. Yeah, that's right. Whereas Australia is a, there's a, there's merit, there's value in coming over here. It's like, yeah, it's, a, it's a short paths, flight away. It's close. Like you can actually make some money. And like, so there's just more thought that yeah. gets put into these decisions where it's, you know, the, the opportunity cost is weighed up with, with greater significance. Um, the way I balance it, I mean, like, I'm pretty lucky, you know, Chelsea and Olive are amazing. The other half of Olive's family, uh, Olive's dad and his partner are like so phenomenal. Everyone supports each other inside of that infrastructure. And so we're all basically trying to help each other realize their, you know, their ambitions at the same time. And so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do any of it without any of those people. And I think it, it makes, you know, the value I put on the comment or the luxury that I get to do this so much greater and it makes my gratitude for it so much higher. Um, and also, you know, at the same time, that's what provides the balance. That's what grounds me when it's like I'm inside of, you know, the bubble. It's like, well, no one's talking about it where they are. You know, they're just talk it's annoying I'm away, but no one's talking about, oh, you know, apparently I had a bit of a bumpy one last night. I don't give a, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. And so I'm like, well, you know, how much of a fuck am I meant to give then? Like, you know, right. you can, I can feel, you can it feel bad. Matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And you know what? I've done it before. Every festival, yeah. I love watching my friends' shows and I will laugh and laugh. But what I love is I go home at the end of the night and I watch an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And that's when I really laugh. Yeah, right. It's divorced from content. You know, it's like I, you just enter somewhere else. And I just think, I don't know. I mean, there's no, there's no labels or application put on this philosophy or any of this, but it's just, it's, it, it's to hold it lightly and remember it doesn't matter. It's a, it's your job. It's your passion. You really care about it, but also it's like, it is not the totality of myself and the parts of myself that need to get fed and watered it, that, you know, they exist outside of it. There is, but in comedy, it is a challenge because you do drive a lot of self-worth from your, your job or you can. And so, you know, it's a bit of a dance that we all have to do. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, tell me then, uh, I'm conscious about, you know, what time it is. And so I've got some standard questions I would like to ask before I finish, which is, firstly, what do you think happens when we die? Because, I mean, obviously, it, it slides pretty interestingly off the back of the perspective you've just given. Yeah. So do you believe that there is anything else to the experience that we are having here or are uh, we are? You know, accident in the I don't think so. It's not really for me to say. It's not for anyone to say, I really. Think... I've had no one on the podcast 
Who's qualified to answer the question yeah, if anybody I think, is? Um, but... Hopefully, say when I die, mm. everyone will get together and they'll have a laugh. And then, um, I don't know, Disco Inferno, cremation. Yeah. You know, send me out in style. And then everyone will get on with it. I hope. I mean, everyone gets on with it. Pretty quick. I mean, not everyone. No. There'll no, be no. some people who won't be able to get on with it at all, unfortunately. No, like, yeah, for a period. Yeah. But, you know, like, that that's the sliding scale of grief and, every, you know, everyone's experiences are different and stuff. But, like... But the world gets on with it. The world gets on with it. And I, I would hope, you know, I hope I've at least got one or two jokes, you know, like jokes in a vacuum that oh, people, yeah. you know, like, I hope... Things that people there still... There are a few turns of phrase or something and people are like, oh, yeah. that was good. You yeah, know. like, there's two... two People in the future doing a podcast with like, did you see Guy yeah. Montgomery's what about final that special? That, yeah, that, like, yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be. But nice. I mean, like you know, ultimately, you just um, you just don't wake up. No, okay. So you just did, caught, did you ever, just caught in a dream? Did you ever believe anything? Any like, I mean, okay. So you talked about psychedelics earlier. Like, have you ever had any experience, whatever it might be, in your life that made you think that there was more to it than no, no. nothing, no higher being just an appreciation for the value of everything that's actually here. Mm. But it all seems pretty random to me. So and then I went why to, do you think it is what it is? Like that, that's, I guess, the what's at the heart of this question is that if we're like, if we are just probably an evolutionary accident in the corner of the universe and that you just, like, it, it's amazing that this is part of it. Like, this conversation. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, why is this necessary? Well, I don't know, because otherwise we're just sitting at home. I guess so. You, you know, like... Right. But I think also, I, so my schooling in Christchurch, I went to an Anglican school from five to 18. So I was at three chapel or church services a week, all of that time. And it just became so. And is Christchurch a religious place? I don't know. Losing <laughs> the title. Uh, and so it just became, so, I became so numb to the value of all, you know, at no point when I was sitting in there, did I believe in what we were listening to. It was right. just part of the day to get through. Yeah. And so it sort of. I think probably divorced my concept that this was real. Like, I just think it means that, you know, and this isn't to speak ill or pass judgment on anyone who believes in anything, but my own experience was like, well, no, you know, I've just got to get through this so I can go and play cricket, you know? And, um, I'd like to think also at my funeral that maybe that's what some of the younger kids are thinking. Yeah. It's like, you know, I just need that, to get through their, this. So their I can dad go out and or play knew cricket. me or their, yeah. you know, or their granddad knew me and they're like, oh, yeah. fuck, this is annoying. You know, like, I can't believe I'm missing yeah. the semi final for this. That's right. I'd love that. Yeah, I like that too. I certainly like the idea that people would like be bored at my funeral and want and to go will. and do something else. And, and they, they will. should be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay. So, uh, here's a question that I stole off Kurt Bronola on uh, Pete Holmes's podcast. But yeah. I'm going to. I love the question, so yeah, I'm going to ask it anyway, which is, would you prefer to know when you die or how you die? Oh, <laughs> neither of them are appealing to me, Will. Yeah, neither? Neither. You'd like it just to be a surprise. It's got to be a in surprise. General? It impacts, it yeah. impacts your behavior otherwise. Yeah, but could it impact I know it when... in a positive way in any way? Like if you knew that you had like five years left, would that, imp like, would you change your life, no, the way I you live your life? No, I don't think I would. I still want the surprise. I yeah. love my life. Okay. I feel so grateful for my life. Mm. And to know how I die means that it would impact how much I can enjoy, you know, like if I found out that I died while I was falling asleep watching the Boxing Day test, yeah. You can't, would, can't watch the Boxing Day test, or at least you know, you'd have a case of Red Bull or yeah, whatever. Yeah. 
But again, but what if you found out it was panda attack? You might just be able to avoid situations where... No, but it still happens, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I, th- I mean, <laughs> when or how, I think I'd sooner know how. Yeah. I don't want to know when. When. I yeah. don't want to know that. And, until, you know, circumstance might change. I might be given a diagnosis and I'm told when. And it will yeah. feel different then. But with the information I have, yeah. as In it all currently stands, scenario, <laughs> that's fine, yeah. tell me how. Okay. All right. Um, uh, best or worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Either, both, don't uh, mind, but. Best or worst? Yeah. No worst advice stands out. Um, I think I, 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 it all slides off really. You know, uh, comedy is great for it. You get a lot of advice early and it's nearly always from people who are grinding out their 10th year in the open mics. I don't remember the particulars, but I'm, I love the fact that it's like, it's a, you know, it's a never ending. It's an infinite loop. Like there'll always be the same, you know, different versions of the same spiritual energy passing on the same bad advice to the same people. Um, is, there, is there something that you believe to be true when you first started out? Like, you know, a core tenant, like in regard to that, that you now are like, Oh, that's ridiculous. I can't believe I ever, was that person who said that thing or thought that uh, thing? Maybe I'm no, I'm I'm pretty kind to myself. I don't hold on to the you know the most embarrassing parts. Yeah. Um, Just as, let them, as best as I can. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone's got their shit happening. I, uh, I think, what's the best advice? It's like I don't know. Enjoy and just enjoyment, like worrying about things, worrying about um, how you're perceived. I think. No one cares is pretty good advice. I still have trouble dancing freely and I remember no one cares to try and unlock, you know, the freedom of movement that means I'm actually enjoying dancing instead of dancing considering how it's being perceived or what, you know, like no one's, everyone's having their own experience of that same thing on the dance floor. Yeah, no one cares. Everyone's busy with their own. No one, know. no one's paying as much attention to you as exactly. you are a pain yeah. to you. No one's thinking about you as much Absolutely as not. you think they are thinking about you. They are not. No, and that rocks. It's all, it <laughs> yeah, all, it's it's all tethered to the same That's thing. Freedom. That's freedom. Yeah, that is absolute freedom. Okay, one final question. Uh, let's do plugs beforehand. So plug anything, that, er, anything and everything that you want to plug. Okay. Uh, John Crookshank, funniest stand-up comedian <laughs> in Australia. Funny. He is actually very funny. Look him John up on YouTube. He's got a thing called Red Fern Electrical. It's a yes, pilot he made. It's very funny. And a special called Weed Cunt. Don't let the title deter you. It's a very funny special. I mean, it is a good warning of like where some of his material does go, but he is a very smart guy wrapped in like uh, yeah, a, uh, a trade, a sort of, you know, yeah. a tradies persona. He's a super inventive and he's got, smart He's got the best comedian. jokes on the scene. Yeah, and kills too, like absolutely kills. But yes, it's wrapped in a persona that sometimes might immediately turn people off don't be turned off. no not at all <laughs> despite the fact that he calls his special weed cunt yeah which yeah. you've got to think at some stage probably does turn some people <laughs> yeah, off yeah <laughs> but you know maybe but don't be turned off he's probably turning the right ones yeah. off you know yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but funny guy very no funny guy for myself i i have a podcast i stood with tim back called the worst city of all time we're currently watching the fast and the furious franchise backwards in descending order Neither of us have seen it, so we've watched Fast 9 nine times, 8 eight times, 7 seven times, all the way tracing back to the first movie when we find out how these people got to where they are. Mm. It's it. That'll be particularly – where are you up to? Okay, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you must know that like, that is one of those series where the escalation between – 
be, before the like the original concept of what those movies are about versus what they can do by the time it gets to F9, you are going to see the de-evolution. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm quite the, excited. I yeah. think the movies will improve as the ideas yeah. get smaller. It's, yeah, smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the people all lose these skills that they have, like, yeah, magically yeah, yeah. developed between movies. Exactly. They don't the show best. them training in between the movies. They've just developed the, the skills. The best. Uh, I've got a show on New Zealand television called Guy Montgomery's Guy Mont Spelling Bee. Uh, if you live in New Zealand, it's on three now, which is not the best media player, but worth navigating if you're interested in the show. And I imagine if you're in other places in the world and you know how to work a VPN, you could probably it. also watch it as well. Yeah. And I've got a special in Australia called uh, Guy Montgomery by Name, Guy Montgomery by Nature, which I filmed in 2022. Where can people find that? Paramount Plus? Is that where that is? Yeah. Probably easier to find it. On the high seas. Uh, <laughs> and I'm on, I, 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 if you ever want to see me do stand up, please go to guymontgomery.co.nz because it's the, it's the best thing I do. I love it so much. And, um, I'm doing a, I'm coming to Sydney and doing, I'm filming my show from this year in Brisbane in July. If you're in Brisbane, you can come along. I'm doing a New Zealand tour, uh, through May and June. Okay. Fantastic. Well, uh, look, uh, go and check out Guy. Hi highly endorse. Thanks, Will. I've had a lot Big of fun. recommendation. Final question. Here we go. Uh, I have a time machine. So uh, one round trip is what is offered. No guarantee of safety upon arrival at wherever you go, but the machine's coming back regardless. Uh, you can travel forward in time or you can travel backwards through time. You can go into your own timeline and, like, you know, whisper advice or try to affect something or rewatch a moment but you don't have to you could jump forward in time to your own future or to other people's future like first the big the big first question is forward or backwards if you have access to one trip on a time machine backwards are you more interested in the past or the future the past i can't yeah. go forwards okay why why can't you go for let's let's explore why you've ruled out forwards first too many variables yep i agree that's just like what are you going to you just don't know you don't know what you're opening the door Man, to you'd only be confident to go four years in the future <laughs> even then who knows I mean, the, the rate of change now in the world right. i mean i'm sure it's been it's felt the same forever yeah. but like no nah, the acceleration of change is just like, absurd. the thing that i like you know the the jokey answer is you can't go 10 20 30 years because nuclear war or climate change or whatever but the thing that i would fear if it was like 40 years is i can't do anything Mm. Like I mean, I'm in see no man in 40 years. Yeah, like because the acceleration of like technology at yeah, the moment, yeah, yeah. the idea what that another use? like the internet's only been around for half of my life, basically, right? Yeah. Like, give that another 30 years of the acceleration rate of what it is. I totally agree. Yeah. I'm not. That's not where I'm okay, going. Okay, so we're not going for it. We're going backwards. Where are we going? I sort of want to go to like um, I want to go to like an event. You know, like oh, yeah. I want to go to a moment yeah. in time. Yeah, great. Like a, a, a famous historical event? Yeah, I think so. Maybe um, part of me, to be completely honest, wants to get on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, at least you know how it finishes, right? Like it's What happens? Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to spoil <laughs> it. It's been re-released in cinema, so if you want to go and have a look. A part of me wants to go there. There's a door. I'm drawn to these. <laughs> part of me wants to go on the Hindenburg. Yeah, Or right. at least to be near the Hindenburg. Yeah, but the Hindenburg, that feels to me like you don't get as the joy. Like, I mean, it's it's all over too quickly. Whereas the Titanic, like, 
you know, you get a lot of like good cruise time before shit gets wrong, right? Yeah, like you get yeah, a little yeah. like it's an event, whereas like the Hindenburg, it all feels like it's a bit too over too quickly. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, it's that's you know, I want to go. You know, you know what? I want to go to South Africa in 1995. I want to go to the All Blacks Hotel, and I want to work in hospitality. And I want to find out if there's a woman called Susie who's poisoning their food. Because this is, I don't know if you know this. This is the long what is standing, alleged, right? This the is long the, standing yes. sort of excuse that's been paraded out by New Zealand rugby yeah. and, you know, latched onto by the New Zealand public yeah. that in the 1995 Rugby World Cup, and this is, you know, I'm seven. I'm waking up at midnight to watch this in my mum and dad's room. Like, this is the pinnacle of my life to this point. And the fallout is there's a woman named Susie who poisoned them their food at the hotel. I'm going to the hotel. I'm not impacting history. I'm just watching. Yeah. I want to see. I want to know. Is there a Susie here? Is there a Susie here? And, and maybe what's, I'm going what's to, her position on maybe poison? I'm going to the, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm going to the match too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, It was see, more important for South there. Africa to win that than us. Would you interfere? Yeah, okay. So knowing the cultural context of the fact that it actually was more important it didn't, for South I didn't Africa have that at win. the time. When I was seven, I was furious. No, but, but you're not seven in this scenario. No, you're, I'm, you I'm in now. this. You now know that that was a more important game for South Africa to win. So you go back. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, now we're yeah. in a more in, we're in a quantum leap scenario yeah. more than we are a time travel scenario. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, you go back. You're working there. You realize, yes, Susie is poisoning the All Blacks. Like, what do you do? Like, are you more loyal to, like, your team in New Zealand and seven-year-old you who wants to see? Or are you, like, looking at the bigger picture where you're like, you know what, this was good for South Africa? Real Susie's choice. Yeah. (laughs) I stop her. You know, they could still still win. And they should should have it on their own merit. Right. We could take that asterisk (laughs) off. There's an asterisk in New Zealand. We could get rid of that asterisk. We work together. Uh, Guy Montgomery, thank you very much for doing the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Listener.